So I don't know. I hope you've enjoyed going through Romans. I, I sort of, uh, to, to me, Romans is one of those fantastic books that you could do again and again and again. What I did realize um, today, and, uh, and I think poor old Paul had it when he did 9, 10, and 11. I've got the same thing today where I've got chapters 13 and 14. And uh, in actual fact, I realized there are actually three sermons here. So good news, you're getting three sermons in one. Um, the bad news, of course, I've had to praise you. If I did them normal, then you'd be here for quite a while. But uh, what we've covered up till now, we've looked at how someone gets saved, how, how, um, um, what it means, that the fact that uh, initially we looked at the fact that uh, you know, people can say, oh, no, we were saved because of our good works or, or whatever, and then we realize, no, that everyone's basically lost, that everyone has fallen short of, of God's glory, that, that all of us, none of us can save ourselves. And, uh, and uh, we, we laid that foundation for quite a while where we, the only way we are saved is because of what Christ did for us on the cross. That he is, even when we were sinners, he died for us and made a way for us. And then we had the, looked at the fact that, uh, that he, he died on the cross. We can actually give him all of our, our um, sins and our broken life and all those things. And he gives us back his righteousness. So we, if we accept what he did on the cross in our place, um, that, that when he died on the cross, we died on the cross. And that we can then rise anew with him. And we give ourselves a spiritual sacrifice, which we then looked at as well, the, you know, of, of what we need to do as Christians, of how we as Christians come before God. But you want to know something, that when you're saved, you have to do it yourself. You can't do it for your partner. You know, when, when I was saved, I couldn't turn around and say, well, Jeanette, you're now saved. Though I think she was probably a Christian before me. But anyway, it's a, you can't do it for your partner. You can't do it for your kids. They're not saved just because of their presence with you. Do you want to know that even people who are attending here are not saved just because they're attending here. It's something that you individually have to do with Christ. You make that commitment. But that's not what I'm talking about today. Today we're going to look at the fact that uh, once you've made that commitment, what actually happens to you. But you want to know that when you're, when, you're, when you're on your own, so we're going to be looking at today's title, if you want a title for it, is Romans 13 to 14, The Return to Community. But when you're single, do you know that you can actually decide what you want to do? Um, now, I'm going to give you an example of what I did when I was single. Now, this is not a good example, by the way. So any of you youngsters, this is not something to follow. But, uh, you know, when you're single, it doesn't really matter what you do. You can change your mind at the last minute. So I had this plan to go across to the UK, and I was going to live in the UK for a year. And, uh, and uh, so my uncle was there. My mom and dad had gone across the UK, and uh, we were on holiday there. And so they were all getting quite excited that I was about to fly across the UK to set up my year in the UK. And they, uh, my uncle had lined up some interviews and all this sort of thing. So it was all nicely planned. But then I'm back in Zimbabwe. I'm single. I'm on my own. Um, I think I was 20, 20 at that stage, 20, 21, somewhere around there. And uh, I got this opportunity to go become part of a Christian organization in South Africa and go and do plays into churches, into old age homes, into those sort of things, where I could go and become an actor. And whoa! <laughs> okay, and so I had this choice. But now, of course, we've got this plan. But hey, I'm on my own. So what I did was I just dropped the UK. And uh, so the guys in the UK are waiting for me. I just never turned up. I actually went to South Africa. As I said, this is not an example to follow. But I could do that because I was on my own. You know, I had no one else to answer to. It was just myself, and I was all excited, and I went down south, and I became part of this acting group where we acted and went into churches and that. And it was, it was, it was very good. But uh, years later, I then got married. And you know, when you get married, you now suddenly got to think of someone else when you make decisions. But even more, and parents will know this, when you get married, you can still, you're, you're fairly flexible. You can go at the drop of a hat. But once you have children, 
everything changes, doesn't it? Suddenly, your decisions, you can't just make a decision. You've got to now set things in place. But you also realize with children is that you need to have rules and regulations. A whole lot of things which, um, for some reason, you know, you have to teach a child to say yes, but you don't have to teach them to say no. You know, you have to teach a child to obey, but you don't have to teach them to disobey. It's something that, you know, we're in a broken world. It's something that they learn very quickly. And so because of that, we have to set regulations in place to make the, the function. Jeanette and I got asked to go on to eldership when in the previous church. And uh, ordinarily, if someone came to me and said, do you want to be on eldership? It was like, I'm there, I'm in. I had to then say, well, let me sit down with Jeanette and the kids, and we're going to talk about it first before we make a decision. Because now suddenly you're in team. You can't just do what you want to do. Well, what actually happens now when you become a Christian, you become a Christian on your own. It's wonderful. You have freedom. But he places you immediately into a body. You become part of the body of Christ. You become part of the church. You become part of a community. The word church is ecclesia. And the word ecclesia, those called out ones, it actually means assembly community and a community of called out people but it, you cannot be an ecclesia on your own do you know that you cannot say there's a lot of us have this idea that we can be the church and i'm in the church all by myself that is not biblical and there's not even the word it's, the word ecclesia means you're in the church with others but to work with others you now have to have regulations in place and now these two chapters we're looking at are going to talk about those regulations and what we're going to look at is three things i'll give them to you quickly in summary so you can see where we're heading and I was going to use the cross as a reference, but for some reason it's gone to a play somewhere else. So I'm now the cross. Okay. <laughs> All right. So you know the cross that Jesus hung on. Now on this cross, you have the beam up, pointing upwards. Now that beam is to me is to deal with those people who are in authority over you, how we actually work. And of course, the person who's an ultimate authority over us, God. I'm, you guys are good. Okay. So, so it's God. We're in authority with God. So that's, but we're also in authority with others. There are others who are over us. Then you've got the cross beams here. And these are the people that we're in relationship with that are with us. Those are our brothers, our neighbors, our friends. Those are people that are with us. Then you have the bar going down where Jesus' feet were nailed. And that are the people who are beneath you. Now, they're not beneath you in the sense of being worse than you, but they, some of them are less in the faith than you. Some of them could be your workers that work for you. They could be, but they're people that actually look to you. And so those are three relationships. And these two chapters now deal with those three relationships and how we can actually function in those three relationships. Because, you know, if you come into community, the one thing in a community, someone's going to be in charge and you're going to know how to work with them. You're going to be working with people next to you. You're going to have new people coming in behind you. And whatever happens, the way a community works is you've got to know how to function with all of those. So let's now go and have a look at this. I was going to try read it all to you. I then decided I couldn't do that. It's two long chapters. But I want to encourage you after this to read those chapters because the whole sections of it on chapter 13 and 14 I'm not reading are a lot to do with uh, God calling us to, to obey and, and to be light and, and those sort of things, which I'm not going to cover, but I will make reference to them. So let's start off with Romans 13 verses 1 to 7. And we're looking here at the upward submitting to authority. Okay, I'll try to read it on this. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in a position of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. 
The authorities are God's servants, sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants, sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Pay your taxes too, for those same reasons. For government workers need to be paid. They are serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them and give respect. Whoops, sorry, if you can go back. Yeah, sorry. Give respect and honor to those who are in authority. And verse 8. There are, uh, uh, yeah, sorry, it'll go to the next thing. Okay, so, so that's the respect and honor. So, so those are the things that we're called to do. We're called now to, to actually uh, um, obey authority. Now, that's, those verses, by the way, have caused Christians problems throughout history. There have been huge debates and discussions. Where, where is it that we can now not obey Christians? Where, well, sorry, authority. Where is it we can now do our own thing? But you want to know something, that in the Bible, rebellion is probably the highest sin. You know, a lot of the times we like to say, and, and, and I've been guilty of this, all sins are equal. Well, let me tell you, the Bible doesn't say all sins are equal. It actually talks about some sins that are worse than other sins. As a matter of fact, sin against the Holy Spirit is the worst sin that you can actually do. And what is that? That's actually rebellion. Now, it's interesting. Rebellion does seem to be the worst sin you can commit. And I would put it even higher, it's my personal view, higher than murder and adultery. Those are bad, by the way. Those are not, not, none of those are good. But rebellion is the worst sin you can commit. And if you go through the Bible, you'll find that rebellion is the thing that is spoken against. Satan, he was Lucifer. He was this angel. He rebelled against God and took a whole lot of the third of the angels and they became demons. Korah rebelled against Moses and uh, the ground opened up and swallowed them. Um, you had uh, Israel in the wilderness where they rebelled against God and they ended up having to actually wander around the wilderness for 40, 40 more years. Israel, when Israel became a nation, then a kingdom, they rebelled against God again and they go into captivity. Um, so you have all these times in the Bible which shows about rebellion. And in, in Proverbs, which is the next scripture, in Proverbs chapter 6, verses um, 16 to 19, um, it talks there about the six things that God hates. If you, if, sorry, do you want to go down to the last verse, verse 19? And uh, it talks there about the things that God hates. And he lists six things, but the seventh thing is the thing God really hates. And it says, there are, these are six things the Lord hates, the seventh he detests. And the thing that he detests is those who sow discord among family. Those who actually cause a division among family. And uh, notice that. So the one who is even worse than all these other things that people could do is someone who causes a division. Someone who actually rebels. So rebellion is something that is, is, uh, is, we as Christians are called to submit to authority. Now that doesn't mean, by the way, that we're now, because now what can happen is people can say, oh, so once you're a Christian, you just do whatever what anyone tells you. That's not what it's talking about. As a matter of fact, Jesus covered this when he was talking to the Pharisees. He's got this chapter, Matthew 23. If you ever want to read a chapter which is talking hard on what the Pharisees are doing, read that chapter. But notice how he begins it in verses 1 and 2 of Matthew 23. He says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example. For they don't practice what they teach. So remember that when you are under authority, you're actually under the authority of God. Anyone else is actually working, if you want, in God's place in that authority. But know that God has actually placed them there. 
David was in uh, the kingdom of Saul, uh, kingdom of Saul, was in the kingdom of Israel, and Saul was the king. Eli, um, he, he was actually went and, uh, and, and uh, made, uh, Eli went and made him, sorry, Samuel went and not Eli, Samuel went and anointed him as the next king. So now David knows he is the new king. As a matter of fact, you find out later on when Saul's talking to him, Saul knows he's the next king. But the king at that stage is Saul. So what did David do? He, of course, got a whole army together and he led this rebellion and he went and took the kingdom away from Saul. Well, no, he didn't. As a matter of fact, he didn't do that at all. As a matter of fact, he allowed Saul to chase him to a point where he had to even flee from Israel because he would not touch the, the authority of God. He waited for God to sort it out. Now, he never submitted to Saul in actually doing the bad things Saul wanted to do, but he still submitted to that authority. And that's the hard thing for us as Christians. We've got to carry that balance. We have to submit to the authorities above us. And that authority, by the way, is in the world and in the church. With the cross, you've got the right hand and the left hand. It's, it's, you've got the right hand, which is like the church, and the left hand, which is the world. And it's the same with the authority. You've got, we have to submit to the authorities in the world and in the church. Now, in the church, unfortunately, I've seen a lot of churches use this as a weapon to get people to do whatever they want. That's not what God's doing. They are there under God's authority to work with us and to get us, um, you know, to, to actually bring us to God. They're, they're there for our good. If you read that whole chapter, the reason they're there is for our good. So if they start doing things that are bad, you might have to go against that authority, but you still submit to it. Um, I know in South Africa for a long time, I, I was, we were in Zimbabwe, so we, we got to escape a little bit of this, but uh, they had apartheid in South Africa. And with apartheid, it meant that sometimes people used to get servants come onto their property and uh, the servants then could stay there, but their wives were not allowed to stay with them. And a lot of these Christian men then said, no, but that's wrong. In the Bible, a man and wife should be together. And so a lot of the Christians used to actually, even though they knew it was against the law, would allow the wives to come and be with their, their partners on, on staying on the property. And, uh, but they knew that if the authorities came in, they would be guilty. They had to submit to the punishment that would come in because of what they were doing. But it meant that they still did what was right, but under submission to that authority. Realizing, of course, that authority has to give account to God. So not an easy thing being a Christian, is it? But it does mean that's how we can function. We function as people. We, we obey authorities, not because we are wet blankets, but because we want society to work. We're there to make society function. We're there to make the church work. So that's the first part of, of, uh, of obeying authority. And of course, we do it all under God. The second, if we read from verse um, 8 of chapter 13, it says, um, owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in the one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. So here we have the, 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 and it goes on, by the way, if you go on further in Romans, you'll actually see that it, it talks a lot about uh, that we need to be light, an example of what we're actually doing. But here's how we behave to others. Now, how do we behave to others? We've got to do it out of love. At work the one day, um, I had uh, some uh, people coming along and they were uh, um, at, at work and they said, you're a Christian. That means you hate people who aren't Christians, don't you? And I had to say, actually, no, it's the opposite. You know, we, as a Christian, we have to love others. And it took me a long while to convince them because unfortunately there's a media has got an idea of Christians, which is very wrong. But what's the defining thing of Christians is our love. And we need to be showing love to others. 
Um, during this week, I had I was, uh, uh, one of the scriptures that I was actually reading was in Mark, where Jesus is having one of those days. It's probably, I, I heard a preach on it years ago about the worst day in Jesus' life, or the second worst day, it was the second worst day in Jesus' life. The worst day being, of course, when he had to go to the cross. But here was the day that they came and told him, John the Baptist, his cousin, had been killed. So he's now devastated, and he wants to go off on his own and uh, pray. And uh, he goes off, and the crowds find out where he's gone, and they, they, they all go and then sort of crowd around him. So there he's trying to go on his own, and there's a crowd suddenly appears before him. And then in, in Mark chapter 6, verse 34, it says, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. And could you imagine your, your heart sinking as you see the crowd? But what does it say? He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. He goes on to feed the 5,000 that are there. And later on, to walk on water with the, the disciples in, as, they, as they leave. But uh, he had compassion on them. He actually saw the people. Even though he was going through grief himself, he saw the people. And that is love. Love is actually seeing where other people are. Seeing other people for who they are. And uh, it, it's, uh, it's, it's being there for those people. It's actually listening to someone. Do you know, have you ever been, uh, and unfortunately I've been very guilty of this. You know, if you're someone who's got an opinion, and most of us have opinions, I think. But if you're someone who's got an opinion and someone's telling you something and you're thinking, no, I know the answer to that. And you want to give your opinion and you want to go in. So you don't even wait for them to finish telling you what they're telling you. You're ready to jump in with your opinion. The problem is you've actually stopped listening to them. So they could be going on a totally different tack, but you're now ready to give them your opinion. God wants us to listen to people, hear people, actually hear what they're saying. Be present with people when they're talking. That's what it means to have compassion, to love your neighbor. And this love that if you go through that whole chapter of chapter in, in, in uh, Romans 13, it's actually talking about being there for others. So let's go to the, the, the next section, which is uh, in chapter 14. And I'm only going to read the first part of chapter 14, but uh, um, this is downward. This is helping the weak. So in verse 1, it says, Except other believers who are weak in the faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but any, another believer with a sensitive conscience will only eat vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't, and those who don't eat some foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall, and with the Lord's help they will stand and receive his approval. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. Oh, sorry, that's... Uh, okay, so, so <clears throat> we need to actually make sure that, that we... Um, actually, let's go on to that, that, that thing, because uh, this is now going on from verse 12. You can go back to verse 12, sorry. Okay, so yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. And so let's stop condemning each other and decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. I know and I'm convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person it is wrong. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Then you will be, not be criticized for doing something you believe is good. In verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God, 
and others will approve of you too. So here we have a, a situation where, where we, we're actually called on not only to love people, we're called on to help those that are weaker than ourselves. We're actually called on to actually uh, be there for those that are sort of behind us. And I want to look at this in two spheres. Firstly, to help the weak. And secondly, what do you do when you disagree with someone? Because that, that's, that always comes up as a question in this chapter. It's interesting. It doesn't really, Paul doesn't deal with it in this chapter, but I've had people always question me on this. First of all, to help the weak. Um, one of the scriptures I've been reading this week is the sower and the seed. Now, if you were to say, what lesson do you get from this? I always talk about the different types of soil there are. And are you a hard heart, you know, with a hard soil that doesn't see anything? Or are you a, um, a heart that's allowed the world and all the tangles to get around you and, 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 and starve you out? Are you shallow that you can't, there's no growth? Or are you the soil that's rich and abundant? And the reality is, I think all of us are all those soils at different times of our life. Um, but I actually then, this week, was looking at it not from the point of view of the soil, but the point of view of the sower. Now, when I was in Zimbabwe, I got involved with a thing called Foundation for Farming, which uh, meant we were helping the farmers. And what we did with the farmers, you, we used to give them a whole bag of soil. And we'd say, it's very important, though, you don't... What did I say? Soil. Okay, we give them a bag of seed. Yeah, if we gave them soil, that wouldn't help. We give them a bag of seed. And they would have to go put that into the soil. But we would actually say, it, wouldn't, it doesn't help just to scatter it. So you dig little holes, and they would put like three seeds into each hole. So that, you know, so that the, the, this would, 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 be, would all be, you know, you wouldn't lose anything and they would actually get the growth. Well, have you noticed that the sower in this story is a very different? I got this picture of a guy going, la, 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 shoo, la, 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 shoo. <laughs> and he's just scattering seed everywhere. And some of it's falling on good soil and some of it's falling on the road and some of it's falling in rocks. You know, he's scattering it everywhere. What on earth is Jesus talking about, you know, the, this, this happy sower just sowing. But you want to know that's what we are called to do. We're called to sow the seed, but you're called to sow it everywhere. Now, you have no way of knowing what soil you're sowing it into. Because what can happen is a lot of the time we can think, well, I can witness to people, but there's no point witnessing here because all their hearts are hardened. They're, they're, no one's going to listen. But God's actually saying you need to witness anyway. You need to be sowing that seed and doing that, whatever circumstances. If you're in a place where no one's going to listen, sow the seed. You're in a place where everyone's going to listen, sow the seed. You're in a place where you, the guys are going to take it half-heartedly, sow the seed. And by sowing the seed, you're telling them about Christ, but you're also living the life of Christ. You're living the example where people can look at you and say, that is Christ. You know, that they can see the example of Christ in you. So we need to be doing that. But then even more than that, we need to then realize where people are. Um, I had to go do some work at a place called St. Catherine's in uh, Zimbabwe. Not work, it was, it, was, it was Christian work. I was going there as a counselor and a helper. One of our members actually was, uh, worked at St. Catherine's. I used to go along there to help her with some of the classes and stuff like that. And uh, St. Catherine's was a place for the intellectually challenged children. I've got to say that because that, that's not the way we used to say it. But apparently these days you've got, you've got to be politically correct. So they intellectually challenged children. So these were children that were struggling in everyday life. They were struggling, you know, they, they wanted to be able to fit into normal schools and that, but they couldn't because, they, you know, they, they didn't have the skills to interact with other children. So we would go work with these children. But of course, because we knew of their situation, we would actually help them from where they were. And we used to get quite excited when one of them would actually color a picture and actually do it to the end. Because, of course, they, their focus stayed 
not very long on anything. It was, it, was, it was scattered all over. But if they actually finished something, suddenly we could get excited and we'd go and celebrate with them over what they've done. Now, what, in a normal circumstance, we wouldn't celebrate on that. They actually ate a meal and used their knife and fork for the whole meal. We would celebrate. You know, now, now you sort of think, well, that's not a thing to celebrate. But let me tell you, we celebrated with that. And the same as we do with our children. You know, when your children are growing up, they're doing little things and we'll get excited about the little things that they're doing. Well, we need to realize that with people. Just because someone's grown up doesn't mean that they're all at your level. And, uh, and I'm afraid I'm guilty of this. You know, when you learn something new and, uh, and you, you've got this new understanding from God, you want to tell everyone. And you want them to understand this understanding that you have because it's so wonderful. The problem is, even if you'd spoken to yourself a year ago, you probably wouldn't have understood it. But we've got to realize that not everyone's where you are. So you can't put that onto others. You know, we've got to actually realize where people are and help them up. As a matter of fact, that is the whole thing with Christ, isn't it? He came from heaven. If he tried to tell us everything from heaven, what he was doing, we would have, our minds would have been blown. But he came down and became a baby and became one of us. We need to be prepared to do that with others. Are we prepared to get down to their level to help them come up? And of course, then, then the question I always get thrown at me is, does that mean we move at the speed of the slowest? And that we're always going to be sort of pushing ourselves back. And of course, we don't do that. What we've got to realize is, is the goal is to bring people forward. But there are things which we, we, when it comes to Christianity, that we have to hold on to tightly and that we never compromise on. And there are things that we've got to be careful of. So when it comes to a lot of ideas, people will come with ideas to you. When is it you can actually say to them, E, no, that's wrong. Full stop. You know, you can't even go there. And when is it you can say, well, let's discuss this. You know, this is, you know, and when is it you can say, we have to agree to disagree. You know, there are a whole lot of areas that we can do that, especially when we're talking now as believers in a church. Because let me tell you, not all of us, even in this room here, where there's only a few of us, we won't all agree on everything. Um, if we did, it would actually be interesting, but it, but it was not going to happen. So I actually found some years ago, I came up with an idea for myself. Now, this isn't, I'm not putting this on anyone else, but this was how I sort of worked. Um, especially when I was leading a church and we started mixing with a lot of other churches as well. And we had people in our church coming in from other churches to become part of our church. So I had a thing which, uh, first of all, how do I recognize someone as a Christian? How do I recognize someone as a Christian? Because it's very easy to judge someone. And as soon as you see them and say, well, that's not a real Christian. And we, we, we put people into categories. So I had a thing about how do I judge someone to be a Christian? And I used the, the, the analogy of to be Jesus' sheep. You might, people might have heard me say that. To be Jesus' sheep. T-B-J-S. Okay, the letters from to be Jesus' sheep. Those four things. If, you, if you, I can tick those four things with you, you're a Christian brother to me. I'll accept you as a Christian brother. And the first is Trinity, T. If you believe that God is three, the Father is God, the Son, Jesus is the Son of God, the Holy Spirit is divine, sent from God, but there's only one God, I'll welcome you as a brother. Now, you can go deeper than that, but that's, that's, that's the basics of what, what, what I'm looking at. B is the Bible, to be Jesus. B is the Bible. If you believe the Bible is the inspired, inerrant word of God, and it's sufficient for you for salvation and Christian living, then we can walk together. J, of course, was Jesus in both the scenarios. And if you believe that Jesus came from God, came to earth, lived life as a man, died on the cross, rose again, and is coming back, then, uh, and that when he died on the cross, he did it for you, then 
then, uh, then I'll accept, you know, then, then you, you fit into the category of Christian. And then salvation. Um, S is salvation. If you believed you're saved by grace through faith, working itself out in love. Saved by grace through faith, working itself out in love. If you believe that, then those four things, then I'll accept you as a Christian brother and sister in Christ. What's interesting, by the way, I sat with a Jehovah's Witness once. Now, I don't know about you with your idea of what Jehovah's Witnesses are. Are they saved or aren't they saved? Well, I would actually say that a lot of them are lost. But uh, this one guy I was sitting with, I went through with this with him. And, uh, and I actually said to him, do you believe, and on the Trinity, I said, do you believe the Father is God? He said, yes. I said, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? He said, yes. I said, do you believe the Holy Spirit is sent from God? And he said, yes. And I said, do you believe there's only one God? He said, yes. I said, well, then I think you believe in the Trinity. And then we had a little bit of an argument after that, because uh, they don't think they believe in the Trinity. But it's interesting that, that, that if you have that as your criteria, you can actually accept a lot of people if, you know, as Christian. And to be honest, the goal isn't to disclude people. It's to, you know, it's to say that you know, we want to, to recognize who are brothers and sisters. But having said that, I can accept you as a Christian brother and sister in Christ. But now if I want to work with you, if we want to do something together, um, then there's some further things that you have to believe. So I call that shoulder to shoulder. If we want to work shoulder to shoulder, if we want to do things together, there are some other things that you have to believe. And the shoulder to shoulder, STS, by the way, is spirit. I believe the Holy Spirit is still doing a work, that the Holy Spirit is still giving gifts. That, uh, if, and the reason you can see the difference here is if you, don't believe, if you believe the Holy Spirit has actually ceased giving gifts, then what will happen is when we go out into the street and do something together, we'll see someone sick, and my immediate thing will be, I'm going to pray for him to be healed. We'll see someone demon-possessed, and my immediate thing will be, well, I want to get them uh, set free and the demon cast out, because I believe the Holy Spirit is still doing that. So you know, we'll suddenly find you're working differently. Um, it doesn't mean that you, I don't recognize him as a brother and sister in Christ, but it's going to be hard for us to work together. So that's the spirit. T is tradition. And I do realize that a lot of Christians go, how can you have tradition? But let me tell you, we all have tradition. And these are traditions that I believe that we stand by. And the tradition would be baptism, communion, how we view church. Those traditions, obviously, you know, because when I want to get someone saved, I'm going to try to pull them into what, what we believe. And uh, then the final S is sanctification. I believe that a Christian, if you're called to be a Christian, you can't then go live a wild life afterwards. You have to live a life where you're becoming more holy, where you're actually living by family values and that those are important. So th those are things that if we, if we believe that, we can now work together. And that's it. That, by the way, is the whole sum of all that I actually ask of people. So anyone else, we can have a vastly different view. Now, it doesn't mean I don't have strong views on other things, by the way. I do. I have a lot of other strong views. But it does mean that I am not going to let that strong view separate us. And that'll be things like, by the way, creation. There's a lot of different views about how creation happened. I've got strong views on that. Other people have strong views. It does, you know, I'm prepared to accept all of those. The return of Christ. Now, we believe Christ's going to return. How is he going to return? Well, let me tell you, there are a lot of strong views on that. And uh, I've got my views. You've got your views. I'm happy to accept all of those. Israel, how Israel and the church work together. I have views on that, and other people have views. We're prepared to work, work on those together. So now there are a lot of things that, that fit into that. Now, you might be a bit different, by the way. You might look at this and think, oh, no, I want those would be part of what I hold on to tightly. But we need to know what we're holding on to tightly, because those are things that, that you're going to, you know, people will, you'll disagree with. It's a mountain you'll fight on. The other things are not mountains you're prepared to fight on. There are areas where you can agree to disagree. 
And of course, the goal of this isn't that we all end up believing the same. The goal of this is that Christ be, be glorified and that we actually bring people to Christ. So it's not the fact that I don't want us to know the truth. I think we need to delve into that. But let's be, be, be uh, um, careful as we do that, that we don't end up discluding everyone, discounting everyone. Okay. So, and that's it, basically. Those three things. Authority. How we work with authority, that we are, we're people that work to make society work. Love, that we actually work in love with each other, that we're actually here to listen to each other. We're here to bring each other through. And uh, those under us that, that we're trying to bring up, we're actually trying to get them to come up. We're getting them to grow in Christ. We want them to become more and more like Christ. And so I apologize, I've actually just touched on all three. And uh, that uh, you're going to have to then sort of, if you want more detail, you'll have to sort of uh, either come speak to Russ or myself or, or, or someone else on that, or, or even dig into it yourself. Read, read the, the rest of Romans and actually go through that. But uh, as one of the things my, my uh, dad used to say, so I just wanted to end with this, where he said, if you don't have something you're willing to die for, you don't have anything you're willing to live for. And I've always thought that was such a true saying that. It's, there must be things that you're willing to die for. What are you willing to die for? What's the mountain you're prepared to fight on? And I'm hoping that mountain is to do with Jesus. If the mountain is to do with an issue, then, then, then let me tell you, you can often end up in, in some, some very sticky situations. But if the mountain's Jesus, he is a mountain that will even be there with you after death. So just touched on all these topics. But uh, right now... Um, I'd like to sort of leave you with that. And I want to leave you with a, a last little thought as, as I sort of go, as, as I close. And uh, we had a rule at, at the base church where we were that uh, we used to call it the three-minute rule. And the three-minute rule. And what used to happen is the guy leading used to often say, okay, everyone, we're going off now. Remember the three-minute rule. And he'd leave. And, of course, all of us members who knew the three-minute rule would be great. But, of course, not everyone knew it. But I'm going to tell you the three-minute rule. The three-minute rule basically says that when your service is finished, go find someone you don't normally talk to and speak to them for three minutes. Just a way to get people to connect, especially with visitors and with new people. <laughs> you know, so, so go find someone you don't normally talk to and talk to them for three minutes. Because you can do three minutes, can't you? I mean, three minutes is easy. So, and, 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 and I know my mom, <laughs> she, she took that very seriously. She actually went up to this one guy that she didn't know, and she sat there talking with him, and they spoke for three minutes. She says, I've done my three minutes now. <laughs> and she left. <laughs> but anyway, that, that's, that's, uh, that's, yeah, that, that's, that was not really how it's been to work. But, uh, so, so remember the three-minute rule. And let's go off and remember now that all these things that I've been teaching you today on community, that's what we're about to go and do. We're actually part of a community. We've been saved. We're now part of this together. We need to go out there and let's listen to each other and let's go out there in love as we go and mix with, with each other and with the world. And let's take that with us. And remember the three-minute rule.